This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Stay tuned and visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org. You know, when you were transformed uh, by God's grace, and that happened to you if this has taken place in your life the moment that you believed in Jesus, and we've been talking about this in our series that we're in in Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8, the series that we're in today, uh, we've been talking about how that when that took place, God moved you positionally in his eyes from being a slave of sin to being liberated by him, being emancipated by him. And, 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 and you were moved to the control of your mind and, and the control of your spirit, the control of your life. When that movement took place, when that transformation took place, what happened to you, one of the things that you may not be aware of, you didn't feel it happen, you didn't notice it happen right away, but one of the things that we know took place in our lives the very second we trusted Jesus is that my life, my heart, my mind became a battleground. A war began to wage at that point in time. And there's a war raging in every Christian, every moment of the day, and that's because sin does not leave us alone. Uh, We know that Satan, even though he was defeated at the cross, is not a quitter, doesn't give up. But when you believed in Jesus Christ and God took you and transferred you from that side to this, gave you his life, gave you forgiveness of your sins, redeemed you, we know that when that happened, uh, Satan knew that he had lost you to God's side. Because your sin, and help me out now, if you've been here the last few weeks, I want to see who's living listening a little bit. Your sin, somebody tell me when your sin died. On the cross. With Jesus on the cross, Paul told us. Your sin died with Christ on the cross. And because of that, Satan can't win you back to his side, all right? You've already been purchased. You've been given eternal life. But what he can do and what he works on doing is to, to sabotage your life, to ruin your reputation, to ruin your testimony, and to, if he can, and he, if he can, and he can and he often does, cause your life or cause my life to bring, bring shame uh, on the name of Jesus Christ. And that's the war that we're in. It's over our lives, and it's over our testimony. It's over our reputation. And unless you've trusted Jesus as your Savior within the last 24 hours, you've probably already figured out that you've become this battleground. In military strategy, uh, it's always been common knowledge that the army occupying the high ground on the battlefield has the upper hand. So when armies would move into position and get ready to converge, the scouts would go out and and, uh, military strategists always would attempt to gain the high ground, the hills, the heights, the ridges, overlooking the battlefield. That's where they knew was the best ground. Because high ground means you have a superior vantage point. You can look down and watch the actions and the movements of the other army. High ground makes for a better defense. It forces the opponent to come uphill to engage you. And when the army, when the battle, uh, in battle, the army who holds the high ground, that is the army that has the advantage. I believe this section of scripture that we're going to look at today in Romans 7, the first, excuse me, the second half of Romans 7, we did the first half last Sunday, 
I believe that this section of Scripture contains one of the most important lessons that you and I have to learn about our relationship with Christ. And I'm so glad that you're here. Um, Too many of us have this misconception that when Jesus becomes my Savior, he gives me his life, and that means I will no longer ever have to struggle with sin again. Well, that's just not true. I'm so glad today that, uh, that as your pastor that, uh, that you're here today that, that you can get what this chapter is saying. I hope that you'll realize that here as we finish chapter 7 and we go in next Sunday to chapter 8, Paul is going to be leading us in this study in Romans to the high ground of the battle that we are in against our own sinful natures. So that's where we're headed today, high ground. How do we hold the high ground? Paul's just told us in the first part of the chapter that the law, when he talks about law, think Ten Commandments, the Old Testament law, the book of Leviticus, and so forth, all the rules that God had given for Israel. He told us that the law was not given in order to make us right with God. That's not the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law was not to say, if you'll just kind of keep these Ten Commandments, you'll be okay with God because that was impossible to do. Nobody could keep the Ten Commandments. So that would have been fruitless. That would have been a waste of time. It wasn't given to make us right with God. Paul said the purpose of the law, those things were given so that God could give us his definition of what was right and wrong, his definition of sin. Not only that, Paul said, and here's here's the problem with us, our human nature, when we got these rules, does what it loves to do whenever we get rules. And what is that? Rebel against them. Do the opposite thing. Say, oh, yeah, watch me do this. You tell me I can't spit on the sidewalk when you're 10 years old, and you spit on the sidewalk, you know? And then you just just have these rules, and whenever you hear rules, you say, I'm going to break the rule. I'm going to do what I can't do. I remember my, my physical science teacher in the eighth grade, he brought in some fossil material, some things that he had collected and he was very proud of. And he had this one particular piece of this uh, fossilized stuff, and he says, and it's all held together with all this calcium. And he said, you can't break it. Yeah, you know what's coming next? I was just passing around the room, and I took it and put it below the desk, and I went, <clears throat> are you mean like this? That's our human nature. We want to break the rules. And Paul said God gave the law. When God gave the law, that caused us to break the law even more. Our human nature does what it does best, and that's rebel against the rules. So the law, not only did the law not save us, Paul said here's what the law did. It opened up more sin to us. So the question he's going to answer is this. Is the problem in our hearts, is it with the law that God gave? Would we have been better off if God had never defined sin? And Paul's answer is, nope. We can't blame the law. Look with me at verses 14 and 15, and then we'll read from verses 18 and 19 as well. Paul writes here in chapter 7 of Romans, So the trouble's not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human. A slave to sin. Now listen to what Paul says and see if you can't relate to him right here. I don't really understand myself. 
For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I, I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I, want, I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. Does anyone beside me relate to that? Say, yeah, that sounds true. I, I, I know just what you're saying, Paul. It sounds to me like the great apostle Paul is very frustrated with himself over the things that he does, the sinful things that he does in his life. Now, when I think of Paul, I think of, you know, I want to put him up at the, you know, the greatest Christians of all time. Got to be Paul and, and maybe Peter after Jesus. These guys had to be among the greatest Christians of all time, the top of the list. There are great heroes of the faith. Paul was among the first Christian missionaries, taking the gospel to foreign lands. Paul risked his life many, many times to preach the good news. In fact, listen to him recount some of his experiences as he relates them in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He wrote this, I've worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. Five different times, the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times, I was beaten with rods. Once, I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and day adrift at sea. I've traveled on many long journeys. I've faced dangers from rivers and from robbers. I've faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I've faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I've faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I've worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. I read that and I say, man, Paul, I, I just, there's no way I could say the things that you say here in, in my comfortable 21st century Christianity. I, I haven't faced, uh, nobody's ever tried to kill me. Nobody's ever taken me behind the, you know, the building and beat me up because I was a Christian. Nobody's done these horrible things to me because I was a believer. Paul, you're an amazing guy. And we know that eventually he was executed in a Roman prison, probably by beheading. Yet all of that persecution and all of that danger that Paul suffered and all those things he endured, the shipwrecks and, and all the rest, all of that he endured because Paul dared to stand up and talk about Christ to other people. And so he was, and rightfully so, is a Christian hero. He's, he's, you know, he's kind of like our, our brave heart in Christianity. He's, he was the Billy Graham of his day. He was the great missionary of his day. And we think of the people in the parts of the world today that are enduring persecution. Paul was that 2,000 years ago. And when Paul needed funds as he was going around doing God's work and, and winning people to Christ and starting churches, the churches, many of them failed to help him go on with his mission. They didn't support him financially like they probably should have. And Paul said, I'm not going to stop. If the, if the churches won't help me out, I'll continue. So he would work you know, uh, with his own hands and so that he owed no one, but he kept going. He wrote 13 of the New Testament's 27 books. His writings, like this 
this book of Romans, this letter to the Roman church, are the bedrock of our Christian theology. He traveled the 21st century without a, a car or a train or a plane. From Palestine to perhaps, as many scholars suggest, as far to the west as Spain, preaching to people who had never heard of Christ and starting churches with those who became Christians. Paul was a genius. Paul was able to sit at Athens and on Mars Hill with all the brilliant minds of, of Athens at the time and debate them about the things of God. When the churches he helped start had struggles and had controversies, the burden would fall on Paul's shoulders, even though he may not have been with them at the time, to, to find help for them and, and either by correcting them or confronting the troublemakers. So as I look at this man, the Apostle Paul, uh, as I read his story, read his life, and read his writings, and, and enter into his mind and the things he knew about God, I come to the conclusion that this guy was phenomenal. This man was an amazing believer. We can definitely think about him and, and with all he did, and with amazement we can say the Apostle Paul was most definitely deserving of the title saint. And right we are. But here we are in Romans 7. And in order to teach the Roman Christians and teach us today who can read this Bible in a very real and humble way about what it means to live the life of Christ, Paul does what few leaders ever do. Paul opens himself up and becomes very transparent. And he reveals his own weaknesses. And Paul, it's as though Paul is saying to us, Saint, I don't think so. I'm a sinner, just like you. No difference. To his son Timothy, he called him my son in the faith. He wrote this confession, honest confession about himself in 1 Timothy 1. He said, I used to blaspheme the name of Christ. In my insolence, I persecuted his people. But God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and love that came from, that come from Jesus Christ. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And he adds, and I'm the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. And then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul just says, I'm real. I'm just going to tell you the facts. When you line up all the sinners in the world, I get to stand in the front of the line. That's who, I, that's who I am. So how do we respond? He's got this battle going on within him that he's describing in Romans chapter 7. The things I want to do, I don't do. I, I want to do the right things, I do the wrong things. I'm so frustrated with this thing that's going on in me. How do we deal with the battle? Respond to the battle within us. Let me give you a couple different things this morning. Let me give you the don'ts first and then the do's. Let's make this very practical as we understand Romans 7. The don'ts, first of all. Don't give up and quit. 
Let me ask you a question. Will you get discouraged every time you do something you've promised God and everyone else that you would stop doing? Does that discourage you when you do something? You say, you know, God, I've already been through this, and and I'm doing it again, and and I'm so, I want to just quit. So discouraged. Of course you're going to get discouraged. Listen to Paul's frustration in verses 21 to 24. He said, it seems to be a fact of life that when I want to do what's right, I inevitably do what's wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that's at war with my mind, and this power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Let's time out right there and say, you know, a couple weeks ago, Paul, you told us in chapter 6, that we were liberated from that slavery, that God redeemed us from the auction block of slavery and made us free. What are you saying now, Paul, that you, you go back to that? Is that what you're saying, that you're pulled back into that old way of thinking? And he's saying, exactly. It doesn't make me a non-Christian, but the pull of the old life is still there, and I still want to do some of those things that Jesus died to free me from. I am so frustrated. This power makes me a slave to do the sin that's still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Does he sound very happy here? No. I make myself so mad, he's saying. I've known people, and maybe you have too, who have believed in Christ then expected to never struggle with sin again. Like the old song from 1970, Spirit in the Sky. I'm not a sinner. I never sin. I got a friend in Jesus. Well, that's a bunch of junk, you know. You are a sinner, and you'll continue to sin, even if Jesus is your best friend. That's the reality. That's what Paul's saying here. And I've known people that when they found out, they would always have sin knocking at their heart's doors. That that would never leave them alone. I've had people say to me, you know what, yeah, 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 Rick. I I tried that Jesus stuff, and it didn't work for me. Anybody ever have that told to you? I tried that Christianity thing, and it didn't work. Why didn't it work? It's because they had a wrong understanding of the Christian life. They didn't get what Paul was saying here. And that's why I want you to get it today. They had a wrong concept of grace. They didn't understand it. So number one, don't quit. Don't give up and quit. Number two, don't give in to temptation. For most of us, and this was Paul too, I think, we fall into old habits and we do repetitive sins, things that we've done before more than once. Because we don't guard ourselves from temptation. Now, let me stop and say, if you don't know this, write this down on, the, on, the, on your paper, write this down in your head, in your heart. Temptation is not sin. It's no sin to be tempted. How do you know that, Rick? Well, Jesus was tempted when he was in the wilderness for 40 days, right? Yet the Bible says he did not sin. It's not a sin to be tempted by sin. The sin happens when we yield to the temptation, when we, we break down and we do what it, what it pulls us to do. But when I keep on, 
Here's the deal with our lives. When I keep on hanging out in places and keep on hanging out with people, doing things that are going to, I know we're going to put temptation in front of me. For, for you, that may be the all-you-can-eat buffet. All right? Well, just being honest. For, that, for you, that may be you need to stay away from those places. But if I keep going to those places where I know temptation is going to be put in front of me, what I'm doing is I am coming down from the high ground. Now, God promises this, that with every temptation you face, he always provides an escape route. Now, let's go back to the buffet line. You're going to go out and eat. You're going to go out today. You're going to eat at Western Sizzling. They got the buffet there. Okay. And they got all that fried food and all that stuff, and it's so good. God has a way of escape because on the, right there next to it, he has the salad bar. <laughs> all right? God always promises that with every temptation, he always provides this escape route. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, look what it says. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humanity. Let me stop and say, that means nobody can say, nobody's seen the troubles I've seen. You know, I'm, I'm getting it worse than no, anybody in the history of the world has ever had it. Nobody's ever gone through what my family's going through right now. Oh, yeah? No temptation has ever overtaken you except what is common to humanity. God is faithful, and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape so that you are able to bear it. God says, I'll always give you an escape route. There will always be a window. There will always be a door. There will always be an on-off switch. There will always be a salad bar. God says, I will always give you an escape route. Now, what's really interesting is if you read, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and read the context that Paul wrote that in, he, he then in verse 14, he says, so you Corinthians flee from idolatry. What was he saying there? The Corinthian believers, their past life was as idol worshipers. And their temptation was to keep going back to that old life of worshiping an idol. You know, it's easier to worship something I can see than a God who is invisible. And so they would constantly go back to that old religion, to that old pagan lifestyle. And they were pulled back. And Paul says, listen, God always gives you a way of escape. And then he says to them, flee from idolatry. Sometimes what we have to do is when temptation comes our way, we simply need to turn and run the other direction. And that may mean in a literal sense, we need to get out of there. We need to remove ourselves from that situation. Don't give in to temptation. Find the escape route that God's provided. Number three, don't give out excuses and do the blame, play the blame game. Don't give out excuses and play the blame game. We live in a culture that doesn't want to tell the truth anymore about sinful behavior. We call sin a disease these days. We find a myriad of excuses for it. We're told everything from this. Well, you do those things because of your genetic makeup. 
Now listen to me. Think that through with me for a second. That can easily be interpreted to say this. Well, you are the way you are because that's how God made you. Because you're genetically, that's, you're predisposed to, to that behavior, whatever it might be. Uh, I share with you that that could be an easy excuse for me. I had um, you know, a grandfather who was an alcoholic. So it'd be easy for me to say, well, you can't help it, Rick. You know, you got, it's, in your, it's in your genes. By the way, I wore jeans today. But it's, you know, people would say, you can't help those, those things. Or, or they might say this, you do those things because your father never loved you. And I'm not saying that genetics and upbringing don't influence our behavior because I believe that they do. But let me ask a question. Who in this room has perfect genetics? Who in this room was brought up by the perfect mom and dad? Oh. So what, what's our excuse then? You know, what, what's the deal? No one. But here's what I want you to grasp this morning. When you became a child of God, he made you into a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Let's read it together. Read it out loud with me, please. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and look, new things have come. When you trusted Christ as your Savior, he made you into an old creation. You got a new start. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you're born again when you believe in Christ. The old life died when, church? On the cross. And that means, please hear me, that means I cannot use my past I cannot use my biology, my genetics. I cannot use my upbringing, my parents. I cannot use my boss at work. I can't use anything else as an excuse for me committing sin. Can't do it. So don't do the excuse blame game. Another excuse we often use too is this. Why why did you do that? I'm just not strong enough. Well, you know what? Hello, that's the whole point of grace. In fact, you need to say that every day. I am not strong enough. I cannot live this life, Jesus, without you and your strength living it through me. We aren't strong enough, but Christ in us is strong enough. So throw that one away too every time. I'm just not strong enough. That's why I did that. Well, Christ is in you, and he is strong enough. So the excuses ended when? When you believed. No more excuses. Those are the don'ts. What are the do's? Several things for you. Quickly. Be honest, number one. Be honest about your weaknesses. Be honest. You know, every one of us is different. The things that may tempt me to sin maybe don't bother you, and the things that tempt you to sin maybe don't bother me. For example, back in March, Gail and I were on our our road trip, and we made a stop at her insistence. Let's spend the night, one night, in Vegas. 
And so I said, okay, we'll spend the night. So we spent the night in Vegas, and she tried her best to get me to play those machines. She just, don't you want to go and do that? Don't you want to try it? And, 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 you know, and you cannot go anywhere in Vegas without you know, opportunities to gamble. They're all around. You can't leave the hotel without walking through the casino. And here's all these people sitting in chairs, you know, playing those games. And, and, uh, and, and she said, don't you want to do that? Don't you want to just try it? Well, in my mind, gambling is poor stewardship of God's resources, and it's throwing money away. And, and I, have, I had no, te- no, I didn't, I, and I, no, I didn't even put a nickel in a machine. I had no temptation to play slot machines or play blackjack or anything else. Now, maybe you do, okay? But I didn't. That didn't bother me at all. Hebrews, the writer of the Hebrews in chapter 12, verse 1, talks about this. He uses this phrase. You might jot that phrase that scripture reference down, Hebrews 12, Hebrews 12, 1. He said, talks about the sin that so easily hinders our progress. So easily. There is a sin in my life. There is a sin in your life that, that stops you short, that causes you to stumble. Most likely for each one of us, there is one particular thing in your life, in my life, and we're all different. But there is probably in your life one particular thing that keeps tripping you up. And when you least expect it, wham, there, you know, it just kind of, there it is in front of you. You didn't know it was coming, and it shows up, and before you know what to do, you fall into the temptation, and you've committed the sin, and you've said, like Paul, what in the world was I thinking? I know better than that. That's not what I wanted to do, but I did it again. The point is, be honest about where you're weak. Don't deny it. And take steps to be strengthened in those areas uh, through God's word and find out what the Bible says about what knocks you down. If it's things, guys, that you look at, then read some scriptures about what you should be looking at and how to stop doing those things and memorize those scriptures if it's going through the buffet line and, and, you know, overdoing it, then read some scriptures in the Bible that talk about our appetites and talk about those things. What, if it's anger, if it's, if it's whatever it might be, it's attitude things, find out what the Bible says and pray for the Lord to give you his strength. Number two, another thing you should do, make a regular habit of confessing your sins to God. The best way to do that is that at the moment the Holy Spirit brings conviction to you about something you did, and if you are a believer, he lives inside of you, and if, you're, if your experience is anything like mine, typically it's not very long after I do something wrong. I mean, sometimes in the twinkling of an eye fast, the Holy Spirit's going, what are you doing? That's a sin that Jesus died for. Don't you realize, Rick, that when you commit that sin, it's just like you're picking up the hammer and driving the nail into his hands and his feet. What are you thinking? The moment that the Holy Spirit convicts you, brings conviction to your heart about something that you did or something that you said, or by the way, sin can be something that we should do that we don't do. The moment that conviction comes, confess it to God. Admit to him you're wrong. 
Realize that your sin is what nailed Christ to the cross, and you died to that, and he freed you from that, but I went back and did it anyway. God, I'm so sorry. Here's what I did. And understand that God never tires of hearing honest confession. And I've heard people, and I've said it too, you know what, God, I'm tired of telling you this again, but I did it again. God never tires of hearing honest confession, but I think God also, part of confession is that I concept of repentance, that I need to change my mind about it. I need to seek to find ways for him to strengthen me so that I don't fall into that trap again, that that sin doesn't easily hinder my progress one more time. 1 John is the verse that you need to believe and remember. God is faithful and reliable. If we confess our sins, he forgives them and cleanses us from everything we've done wrong. So be honest about your weakness. The second thing you should do is make a regular habit of confessing your sins to God. Third, have an accountability partner. Establish a relationship with another growing believer, someone that you'll give permission to to ask you some tough questions about your life and about how you're living and what you've been doing and where you've been going and what you've been watching and what you've been speaking and somebody that will hold you accountable. And then with that partner, number four, set some limits and boundaries. Those limits and boundaries may be about how you spend your time, how you spend your money. They may be about what kind of shows you'll watch on television, what kind of movies you'll attend, what kind of internet sites you won't visit. They may be about the places where you go. The boundaries may be about the people that you hang with. Because, you know, it seems like every time I hang out with so-and-so, I always get in trouble. We'll set some limits and boundaries. I'm sorry, but I can't hang with that person anymore. Maybe about what you eat or how much you eat or what you drink. But based on what you know about yourself, be honest about your weaknesses. And based upon what you know are your personal pitfalls, and, be, and because you are going to be honest about it, set some boundaries and let someone else, that accountability partner, know what those boundaries are and let him or her ask you, well, how are you doing this week? on these things, on a regular basis. Paul finishes his testimony in chapter 7 with that question, who will free me from this life that's dominated by sin and death? You ever ask that? God, I just want to get away from this. If I could just not be bothered by these things anymore, wouldn't that be great? When's that going to happen, Lord? I'm tired of that temptation being around me all the time. Will this battle ever end? And who will win it for me? And fortunately for us, and Paul was glad, you know, he's been writing this, and he, I, I see the frustration on his face, but he comes to this point as the Holy Spirit guides him, and he writes these words down, and the smile breaks out on his face. Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. That's where the answer is. You know, and that sounds so simplistic. And that's one of the reasons why we struggle with it is simply because that's, Rick, it's in Jesus, come on. It's got to be something more than that. 
We want to make it more complicated than it is. But just like everything else that Paul has been saying to us in chapter 5 and chapter 6, he says it again in chapter 7, it's all wrapped up. Your relationship, your salvation, the forgiveness of your sins, your standing with God, your future in eternity, in heaven forever, is all wrapped up in one person, and his name is Jesus. Until you and I are delivered from this world and this body by death, or by being transferred when Christ takes the church home, the reality is we will daily be fighting this battle. So where do we need to be hanging? Where do we need to plant our feet? On the high ground. And Paul says, here's where the high ground is. The high ground is in Christ. That's where you need to be. The old sin nature that you were born with, Once you were born again, God planted you over here, and that old sin nature became an intruder into your life. The enemy uh, of your new nature, and the only way to fight the battle, the only way to win is to take that high ground of giving your heart and giving the control of your passions to Jesus Christ. Now, just give you a little look ahead into what's coming up in chapter 8. But Paul's going to tell us this, and he's already won the victory for you. In fact, Paul's going to tell us this. Now we are more than conquerors through him who loved us so. We've already won this battle, the high ground. Stay on the high ground. But if we try to fight the battle ourselves, that means we have to come down from the high ground. We have to take an inferior position without his strength. And when we do that, we become wounded in the battle. We want to quit. We want to give up. Where are you standing today? Are you on the high ground? Are you in Christ? Are you going to do the are you going to, you're going to do battle sometime really soon? Well, wait a second, Rick, it's Sunday. It's the Lord's Day. We don't have to do battle on the Lord's Day, do we? I do sometimes. Where, do you, where, where are you going to be standing today? You have to make that commitment to him. I want to stand on the high ground. I want to fight this battle with your strength, your strength alone. Would you pray with me? This morning, Father, there are folks here who are struggling with the sin that so easily hinders their progress. And they find themselves just saying, man, it's like, the words that Paul wrote are coming from my heart too. The things that I want to do, I don't do. The things I hate, that's what I end up doing. God, I love you and I love your words so much, but I keep messing up. I'm miserable. We can relate to Paul, Father. So thank you that he said, hey, you know what though? We're, we don't, there's no excuses because we're in Christ. He will deliver us. He's promised a way of escape from temptation. He's done everything for us to live a life that he approves of. And he wants us to be wise in these things and where we go and what we do and what we set before us. So I pray, God, that you'll help us to realize this battle's been won. Even though we fight it every day, the enemy doesn't give up, but we're on the winning side. Thank you. In Jesus Christ, we have the victory. In his name I pray, amen. 
This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org.